follow the passage that we have before us today. If you would turn to the book of Acts, chapter 5. And I've got uh, the wrong verses up there, uh, so my apologies, but it's verses 17 through 25, and then verses 40 through 42. So that's Acts chapter 5, 17 through 25, 40 through 42. And uh, if you want to follow in the Bibles uh, in front of you, that's on page 1082, page 1082. I've got a little bit different of a translation, but you should be able to follow along nonetheless. So uh, Acts 5, 17. But the high priest rose up along with all his associates, that is, the sect of the Sadducees, and they were filled with jealousy. They laid hands on the apostles and put them in a public jail. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the gates of the prison, and taking them out, he said, Go, stand and speak to the people in the temple the whole message of this life. Upon hearing this, they entered into the temple about daybreak and began to teach. Now when the high priest and his associates came, they called the council together, even all the senate of the sons of Israel, and sent orders to the prison house for them to be brought. But the officers who came did not find them in prison, and they returned and reported back, saying, We found the prison house locked quite securely and the guards standing at the doors. But when we had opened up, we found no one inside. Now when the captain of the temple guard and the chief priest heard these words, they were greatly perplexed about them as to what would come of this. But someone came and reported to them, The men whom you put in prison are standing in the temple and teaching the people. Now on to verse 40, and I'm going to start on the second half of verse 40. After calling the apostles in, they flogged them and ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus and then released them. So they went on their way from the presence of the council, rejoicing that they had been considered worthy to suffer shame for his name. And every day in the temple and from house to house, they kept right on teaching and preaching Jesus as the Christ. Um. I've sort of caught on. I, I was born and raised in Michigan. We spent some time in the state of Kentucky. Actually, it's a commonwealth, but anyway, the commonwealth of Kentucky, uh, back up to Michigan. Now we're over here to Wisconsin. And here's what I found uh, living in the Midwest. It, oh, we also spent some time in Indiana for college. So we've been all over the place, mostly the Midwest. And, and here's what I found with the Midwest is there's uh, primarily three seasons that, that we go through. The main one is wintertime, which we're just getting over. Uh, we got kids in our house, so they're constantly asking, is winter over yet? And we'll look out, and depending if it's a Tuesday or a Friday afternoon, we say it's almost over. Uh, so that's one season. The other season is about three weeks in late July, early August, where it's blazing hot. That's your summertime. Everything else is winter. And then the third season that I've noticed in the Midwest is road construction. That usually starts about March, April, something like that. And, and uh, that goes to about September, October. I find they can handle the heat a lot more than they can handle the wind chills. But those are the three seasons that you have in the Midwest. And without fail, when you go through road construction, what happens? They put up roadblocks. They put up the signs. Your plan for how you wanted to accomplish things is no longer feasible. All of a sudden, your wife is tapping your shoulder saying, it's a 45 and you're going 60. You're going to get a ticket. And then you you say back, uh, well, I don't see any workers. And she says, yeah, but it's still a roadblock and a detour. I say, oh, fine, okay, I'll slow down. 
At least that's what we have in my car when we drive. So what happens during road construction season is you encounter roadblocks. You encounter uh, areas where you either come to a total standstill and you're no longer moving forward. Uh, You come to a point where you have to take a detour. Or if you're also like me, uh, you come to a point where you get not lost. We're not going to use the word lost. But let's say you're strategizing a better way than the detour route gives you. I like that. I'm going to go with that one. In any case, you are trying to get around the roadblocks and you're trying to get to your destination. Well, what we have in the book of Acts is we have the goal that the apostles were given by Jesus. Pastor Mark preached this last week out of the Great Commission, and that is go and baptize, go and make disciples, go and preach the gospel to all of those that will listen. That is the route that we're set on as a church. Our whole goal in the Christian life is to grow in Jesus Christ and to tell others about Jesus Christ, tell others about the relationship we have with him. But here's the problem. We have an enemy that oftentimes wants to put up roadblocks to keep us from preaching the gospel. And these roadblocks are areas that maybe we come to a standstill. Maybe the route that we thought we were supposed to go on is no longer feasible, so we have to go a different way. Sometimes in the midst of all of that, we feel lost and we feel confused, but we know the destination at hand. Preach the gospel. Preach Jesus Christ. So the apostles are given this commission, and right at the outset, they have enemies that are jealous of them. I've got seven points here that I want to go over from this passage, seven points that I think we can walk away with today and understand what our calling is, the experiences we may have, and what we need to do to accomplish what God has called us to do. So the first point is just the basic truth that we have in front of us is the enemy is a jealous enemy. And we encounter that here in the first few verses of the passage today. Uh, You have what's called the council, uh, the Sanhedrin. Another way that we might preach it is we have the religious leaders. These are the people that Jesus uh, oftentimes argued with. These are the people that crucified Jesus, put him to death. These are the ones that are putting up roadblocks for the apostles. They're the ones that are trying to keep the apostles from preaching. And what you have in the opening of this is jealousy. They are jealous that the apostles are uh, converting people over to follow Jesus Christ. And they're doing this in the temple. They're doing this in the main place of worship that the Jews go to. And so when this occurs, they're jealous because they think that their people are being taken from them. Now, here's what's interesting about that word jealousy. Uh, That word jealousy means to want what is already yours, okay? So when you encounter in the scripture, when it says that God is a jealous God, what that means is that you belong to God, You are his. You're a child of God. You're a servant of God. You are his. And so when the enemy tries to take you from him, there's jealousy that God has because you are his. Here's the thing. The Sanhedrin think that they own the people that are following Judaism. They think they're the ones that own all of these people. And so when they see them convert to Jesus Christ and begin to follow Jesus, they're jealous Is that justified? Absolutely not, because these people belong to God. I'll give you an example of what I mean. 
Uh, When my wife and I were dating and in college, there was a time where we were setting up for new students to come into the university, and and we had a few people that we were in charge of and trying to direct, and there was one girl that offered me uh, a piece of candy or an ice cream bar or something, and I remember saying no, and I remember she she was trying to offer it, and, and she kept you know, she had a big smile on her face and she kept saying, come on, just take the ice cream bar. And I kept saying, no, thank you, I'm good. And couples here today, I don't know, can you feel your spouse staring at you? Absolutely you can. And this girl was in front of me and she wouldn't leave me alone and I felt my wife's eyes and her breath like right on the, and I knew she was up in the balcony But she was watching all of this. Well, what was occurring? She was jealous. Did she have a right to be jealous? Absolutely, because as far as she was concerned, I belonged to her. I didn't belong to anybody else. And so when she saw another girl flirting with me, oh my goodness, and let me tell you, I was already preparing for that conversation. And we had it. That's the jealousy that God has for you. You are his. He doesn't want to see you with the enemy. He doesn't want to see the enemy try to snatch you up and take you away from him. So he will do everything to keep you and to hold on to you. Now what's going on with the apostles is they're experiencing jealousy in the opposite sense. It's the jealousy where the Sanhedrin think, we own these people, you shouldn't be taking them, they belong to us. And so what do they do? They put them in jail. And this is point number two, the enemy tries to stop the gospel. The enemy is the one that puts up roadblocks in order to stop the preaching of the message. And so when the Sanhedrin put the, the, uh, excuse me, the apostles into jail, the whole goal of them going into jail is that they would no longer be able to preach in the temple. And the idea was, if we can stop them right now, they won't be able to preach anymore. The people that have converted will come to their senses, they'll come back to our fold, and then we can try them in the morning and keep them arrested, put them in prison, maybe even execute them if the Roman government allows it. So this is the thinking of the enemy. If I can just get them to stop preaching the gospel, if I can just put up a roadblock that's distracting enough, they won't tell others about Jesus because they won't have the wherewithal. And we've all been in that situation where life's distractions come in and all of a sudden the priority of God is put off to the side and we might say, well, I'm just trying to live my life. Well, I'm just trying to do what's best for myself. Trust me when I say this, God knows what's best for you. God knows what you're going through and he knows what you need to be doing and he'll provide a way for you to do it. But what's going on in this passage and I think what sometimes happens in our lives is we encounter those detour signs, we encounter those roadblocks and we might say, you know what, I just don't feel like driving to my destination today. I just don't feel like going through this kind of difficulty. I'm going to head back home. I'm going to go ahead and focus on myself. Now, the apostles were in a different situation than what we find ourselves in today. They were actually in jail. None of us have ever experienced that. I would say the only time we would ever find that experience 
is if we went to another country and we're doing things we shouldn't be doing. Maybe there's a country there, there are some in the Middle East that have outlawed Christianity. They've outlawed preaching Christianity. They've even outlawed converting to Christianity. The apostles were in that situation. They weren't allowed to preach Jesus Christ, so they were thrown in jail. We've not yet experienced that as Christians. Praise God. But the enemy is going to do whatever he can to get in our way. And so if the apostles experience jail time for preaching the gospel, surely whatever is in our way is overcome. We're able to get through it. God is able to see us through because it's not nearly as bad as what the apostles went through. By the way, as I was looking up this passage, I was trying to see how many times were the apostles arrested throughout the book of Acts. Um, I, I could be wrong because I... Not a mathematician. That's why I went into ministry. But they were arrested, I believe, at least 17 times in the book of Acts. Now, I encourage you, go through and read the book of Acts. And if I'm wrong, come tell me. The point is not the exact number that they were arrested. The point is, this is only the first time. There's plenty of other times that as you go through, you find that they get arrested, they get put in jail, God frees them. They get arrested, they get put in jail, God frees them. They get ar- it doesn't stop. They don't stop getting arrested, but they continue to preach the gospel no matter what. So the calling we have is, no matter what detours or roadblocks were put up in life, continue to preach the gospel in Jesus Christ. The third point, and I touched a little bit on this, God is stronger than the enemy and what he's trying to do to us. So what happens is the apostles get arrested. The Sanhedrin think, well, we've arrested them for tonight. They can't preach anymore. And then God has different plans. He sends an angel into the jail cell. The angel comes in and, and he tells the apostles, get up, go back to the temple and begin to preach. And here's what's incredible about the situation. There's no details as to how he brings the apostles out. It's just that the angel is sent and says to the apostles, you're free, come on out. Now, I've never been in jail, but I know that if somebody who wasn't a security guard came and said, you're free, come on out, I'd have a hard time believing them. But it's an angel of the Lord that comes and says, you're free, you can leave, you need to go preach some more. And so they do. This is what we have in our Christian life. The jail time, the detours, the issues that we have before us are only temporary. And you know what? Even if they lasted our whole life, they're still only temporary because we have a home in heaven. So whatever we go through here is nothing compared to what we're going to experience in the kingdom of God. So the apostles are in jail for an evening. The hope is that they wouldn't make any more converts. And what does God do? He changes the plan. He releases them from jail, and they're able to move on. Point number four. We are to obey God, not man. Now, again, not just when the apostles are arrested over and over and over again, they're constantly told when they're arrested, you need to stop preaching. If you stop preaching, you won't be arrested again. And how do the apostles respond just about every time? We must obey God, not mankind. Now, what this means for us is we've been given a task. We've been given a goal in life, and we must obey that. 
Whatever plans we think are before us that we've made up or that somebody else has made up for us is nothing compared to what God has planned. There's a story of a missionary that actually never even made it to the mission field. His name is William Boardman. And William Boardman uh, was called to the mission field. He was called to go to mainland China and be a missionary there. This is early 20th century, early 1900s. And, and when he was called to go, he came back and he told his parents, and his parents had hopes that, that he would stay and run the family business. And so they tried to persuade him not to go to China. And they would say to him, listen, you don't have to go. There's other trained missionaries that can go and preach the gospel. You don't have to do it. They tried to persuade him and say, listen, if you stay here and you run the family business, you can make more money and all of those profits can go to missionaries in mainland China. You don't have to risk your own life. And what he said back to his parents was, you're right, I could do that, but that's not what God called me to do. God called me to preach. God called me to be a missionary. I will do it. And no matter, matter how many roadblocks he had in front of him, he continued his journey to be trained and to head over to China to be a missionary. You see, that's the calling that we have in our life, and we're going to have people in our lives that try to persuade us to go a different route because things get hard. I don't know if you've ever had that conversation with somebody where you think this is the route and God is calling you to go that way, but you have those around you that try to dissuade you and they try to keep you from going where God wants you to go. You need to trust that if God has called you to it, that is the goal in your life. We must obey God, not anybody else. What number are we on? I told you I wasn't a mathematician. Five. We're on point number five. We may experience more than just roadblocks in our life. And this is what the apostles experienced. Uh, they were released from jail, and instead of arresting them again, uh, the Sanhedrin put them through some suffering. They had to be flogged. In a similar way, we might go through different issues in our life that aren't necessarily roadblocks, but they may be areas of suffering that we have to endure. I'll give you an example of, of uh, this is, I mean, we might call this first world problems, but we had a vehicle that didn't have air conditioning. And I told you about the three seasons of, of Midwest. There's winter, there's road construction, but then there's that like three weeks where it's triple digits. For some reason, that's about the time my family chooses to travel anywhere. <laughs> and so as we're traveling, not only did we have roadblocks, construction, detour, all of that, we had no air conditioning in a big van full of luggage that's really good insulation in the summertime. So it was probably about 100 degrees, but with the wind chill and the insulation, I'd say it was more like 105, 110. We felt like we were dying in that van as kids, but we would still go on vacation. We would still head out. We had to endure what we were going through. Whatever we're going through in life, we might have a, a, a suffering that we have to endure. And again, this is the enemy. This is the enemy's jealousy. He doesn't just want to stop you. He now wants to make you miserable while you're doing what God has called you to do. 
And for the record, what the apostles were going through, again, is worse than anything than we've gone through. Uh, They were flogged, which I was looking this up, and it's interesting. You have the Romans flogging, which was legal, and that was 40 lashes. You had 20 on the chest, 20 on the back. These were with whips. Oftentimes, the whips had things attached to the end, like bones and glass and stones and metal. And you were whipped on the front, you were whipped on the back. And when the Romans implemented this, the whole goal was that whatever you were whipped for, by the 40th lash, you would learn your lesson, hopefully not die, and you would be able to move on with your life obeying the Roman government. Well, they allowed a flogging that was similar, and this is what the Sanhedrin had picked up, and this was flogging, but it wasn't 40 lashes. Do you know how many it was? 39, that's right. Somehow, through legal loopholes, they were able to whip somebody 39 times. This time it was 13 on the chest, 26 on the back. And this is what the Sanhedrin did, because they didn't have to go to the Roman government to have any kind of whipping or execution or trial. They could do it all on their own. The apostles went through this, and yet they continued to preach the gospel. Not only is the enemy going to put up roadblocks and, and try to get us to stop preaching, when we do preach, he might put us in a situation that is what feels like so unbearable. But we can bear it because we have God. This is point number six. Why do we bear the suffering that we get put through by the enemy? Well, it's because Jesus bore suffering when he died on the cross. There's an interesting concept that, that we have in Scripture, and that concept is that any time we suffer, we, con- we consider it joy because we're suffering just as Jesus suffered. Uh, James chapter 1, verses 2 through 4, he talks about that. He says, Consider it all joy, dear brothers, when you face any hardships or, or of any kind. And the whole point that James is making in that passage is, that whenever we encounter suffering, we're actually being made more like Christ because Christ went through the flogging. Christ went through the shame and humiliation that the Roman government put him through. He was crucified, and at that time, it was considered the worst suffering anybody could go through and the worst possible death you could experience. And so when we're suffering, we're actually suffering like Jesus suffered. We're actually looking at the situation we're in and saying, praise God, I can endure what Christ has gone through because he's already gone through it. Um, I'll give you an example of what I mean by, by we're able to go through it because he's able to go through it. I've told you before, I used to roof with my dad. And my dad roofed for like 20 years, and I think I was like eight or nine years old when I first got up on the roof and was handing him shingles. And, you know, at eight or nine years old, you can only endure so much, right? Well, not if you had a dad that endured it. (laughs) All of a sudden, I'm handing shingles, and, Dad, my fingers hurt. Oh, okay. I need another shingle. Dad, I can't lift the shingles. Oh, that's fine. Just lift half the load and go back and lift the other half. Whatever excuse I put before him all of a sudden didn't really matter. Dad, I'm hungry. It's lunchtime. You're right. It is lunchtime. Give me a coil of nails, would you? 
Do you see what I'm saying? All of a sudden, as I look back on it, he endured all of that, and he knew I could endure that. He had my best interest in mind, and so what was he doing? He was teaching me to continue to endure the work that was put before me. Well, Jesus Christ has endured the cross. He's already gone through everything. He's endured the suffering and pain and death. And so now as Christians, as we go through any kind of difficulty, any kind of suffering, we look to Jesus Christ and we know that Jesus has gone through it. His power is within us. We can go through it. We can endure the suffering that the enemy has put before us because God has already done so. Not only that, we rejoice when we go through these hardships. We rejoice because now we're going through what Jesus has gone through. One example that I think I have of, uh, or uh, uh, an illustration it might be is, if you could walk on water like Jesus did, would you be excited for that? Absolutely. If you could heal like Jesus did, would you be excited for that? Absolutely. If you could have an understanding of Scripture like what Jesus had, would you be excited? Absolutely. We would be excited for all of that. The problem is sometimes we want the really exciting things that Jesus went through and everything else we think should just be left to him. Sometimes we look at the cross and we say, I'm so glad he endured the cross, that way I don't have to. True to some extent, I no longer have to die for my sins because Jesus Jesus did so. But now I've been called to live like Jesus Christ, which means that when I pray for somebody, we believe that they can be healed. When we read the scripture, we trust that God is guiding us and he will reveal his truth to us. When I go through suffering, I can endure, endure it because Jesus Christ was able to endure it. This is what it means to be a Christian, to be like Jesus and to rejoice in it, whatever the circumstance. The final point, and this is point number seven, this is what it's all about. We continue to do what God has called us to do despite the difficult times that we go through. What's the destination we have before us? What is it we're called to do as Christians? It's not to just live life. It's not to be comfortable even. Our goal as Christians is to make sure that other people become Christians. Which means whatever is going on in our life, if we're put in jail, if we're flogged, if we got roadblocks in front of us, we pray for those roadblocks to be lifted. We, we pray that the suffering we go through, the difficult times, are not going to be a distraction to telling our friends and family about Jesus Christ. Whatever we go through in life, whatever the enemy throws our way to try to stop us, we continue to preach Jesus Christ because we want others to have the same life that we do. We want others to know the love that God has for us. This is the destination. No matter the roadblocks we have in life, no matter the suffering we go through, we praise God and we give him all, all praise, all joy, because God is calling us to preach the gospel and we'll continue to do it. Let's pray. God, we thank you for that ability to preach the gospel no matter what is in our life. And God,
for anybody here today that, that is feeling like they're not able to do that, I just pray that, that you would meet with them. I would pray that, that, that you would meet with them and speak to them in a miraculous way. And God, for any of us here that are going through these detours, these roadblocks on the destination to preaching the gospel, for any of us here that are going through suffering or going through hard times, whether it's physical, whether it's financial, whether it's uh, uh, just a difficult time in general, I pray, God, that we would take a moment, praise you that we can get through it, and continue to do the work that you have called us to do, not just as a church, but as individual Christians. And we pray this all in your name. Amen. If you would stand.